You've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with Gareth Powell. Hello, friends. I'm Dave Robinson. And I'm Ryan Stevenson, filling in for Brian Humphrey. And you're listening to a special episode of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With... 20 Minutes With is an opportunity for us to spend some time with the amazing authors and the creators that we get on the show and kind of dig our fingers into the cantaloupe meat that is their creativity and genius and <laughs> feast on that sweet fruit inside. <laughs> yeah, I just ate some cantaloupe, man. I'm sorry. Dude, I'm salivating already, and, and we haven't even gotten into it. That's awesome. That's very cool. Nice. Ryan, thanks for, for nice. coming in, man. I always appreciate it when you're willing to fill in the, the co-pilot chair for Brian, who even as we speak, the reason that you're doing this is that he and his wife are in the hospital right now. Now, of course, this airs many weeks after we record it, but right now, his son is being born. How, how awesome is that? So we we send out all kinds of love and good mojo to, to Brian and Allie and, and the newly arrived uh, Aiden Humphrey, who will grace the world with awesomeness in his time, I have no doubt. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. Yes, indeed. Now, uh, let, let me introduce our, our guest host to you, Ryan. Mm. Um, now, you've read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Yeah. Okay. And you're familiar with Jack Kerouac and On the Road and the whole Beat Generation thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, imagine if Zaphod Beeblebrox and Arthur Dent had a love child and it was raised by Jack Kerouac. All right, that is our guest host for this episode, a spectacularly creative, modestly deranged, optimistic hippie with a true gift for wordsmithing. Now, our guest host can't remember a time when he wasn't driven by the compulsion to write. As a child, he exhausted the local library's collections of Clark, Heinlein, and Niven and spent his days filling entire notebooks with endless rambling stories. And then his parents sealed his fate and bought him a portable typewriter. Now, immediately, our guest host, using only his index fingers, bashed out a short science fiction story called A Long Way Home. Now, Ryan, have you ever used a, a manual typewriter? Oh, yeah. Have you? Okay. So you, oh, yeah. you know that very visceral physical experience, <laughs> right? The eight feet it takes for the key to go from the top to the bottom. Yes, oh, I know that. Exactly. There is something ennobling <laughs> and transformative about typing your ideas. The, the slash of those typewriter keys as they strike the ribbon and transfer the ink into a page. Now, our guest host felt the power of that transformation. And from that moment on, he knew more than anything else. He wanted to be a science fiction writer. Now, he grew up with the moon landings and Skylab, the Viking probes, and the first space shuttle launch. He watched Star Trek, Buck Rogers, and Battlestar Galactica. But also keep in mind that he lived during the Cold War, when fear of annihilation was a, a constant current in the river of life. But rather than surrender to the shadows of despair, our guest host was inspired to hope by the bright future of boundless adventure embodied in science fiction, an optimism he holds to this day. He studied creative writing at the University of Glamorgan and then spent a few years in the wilderness writing poetry and dodgy short stories, trying to unlearn the florid and pretentious <laughs> verbosity of academia in favor of lean, descriptive, and active prose. 
And in one of the watershed events of his formative years, he discovered the lush descriptive immediacy of Jack Kerouac. He read On the Road and many other Kerouac novels, becoming somewhat obsessed with the beat movement. It heavily influenced his poetry and fiction during that time, and he hasn't completely shaken it off even two decades later. Now, around the turn of the millennium, our guest host got down to the serious business of becoming an author. He gave up caffeine and his productivity soared. He moved (laughs) in with his fiancée, now his wife, and while working a full-time job, crafted what would become Silver Sands, a novel of retired cops, digital ghosts, and corporate assassins. Now, this was completed in 2002, but it wouldn't see publication until 2010. And our guest host has never been really good at waiting. So, he kept writing, this time short stories, which served to hone his craft even more, and he discovered new authors like William Gibson, Bruce Sterling, Ken McLeod, whose work would continue to shape his writing. Now, he submitted his short fiction to online genre magazines, including one story to Interzone. Now, that story was called The Last Reef, and it drew a lot of attention and eventually led to the fulfillment of one of his life ambitions, to have his work bound into a collection. The Last Reef and Other Stories was published in 2008 by Andrew Hook of Elastic Press. And since then, in addition to a host of short fiction, he's written two more novels— The Recollection, published in 2011, is his love letter to science fiction and the archetypal spacers embodied by such characters as Han Solo, Lork Von Ray, Malcolm Reynolds, and Captain John Truck. Now, his latest novel, Ack Ack McAck, is something else entirely. And Ryan, here's where the whole deranged part comes in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because this is an alternate history cyberpunk romp featuring a cigar-chomping monkey and a whole lot of Zeppelins set in 2059. Now, this was inspired by one of his short stories, which Interzone readers had voted their favorite story of 2007. Now, in addition to being an author, our guest host is a self-employed freelance copywriter, a music journalist for Acoustic Magazine, a parent of two young children, and works two days a week providing publicity and media relations for a local disabled children's charity. Now, all told, he has, to his credit, three novels, one short story collection, two collections of poetry, a book of photographs, plus numerous short stories published in anthologies and magazines, including a very cool collaborative effort with Aliette Dubodard, three national newspaper articles, several magazine articles, hundreds of CD reviews, and one unpublished children's book. He eats chili con carne sandwiches, yo. <laughs> And if given a superpower, our guest host would love to be able to fly or be able to make people's heads explode. Do you see what I'm saying, Rye? I'm at once <laughs> anticipating this and slightly terrified. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but we can't hold it off any longer. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the big chair at the round table, our guest host for this episode, Gareth Powell. Gareth, thank you so much for making the time and and sitting here with us for a few minutes to share some secrets of your craft. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, uh, I'm going to make a note here and get our get our timer started because we we need to start our 20 minutes with Gareth Powell. And and Gareth, I'm going to lead off and and let me let me ask you a, a very specific craft question because uh, in in an interview that you did, you mentioned that you edit 
As you write, the, the, and, and I'm quoting here, but each time I sit down to write, I start at the beginning and read through to where I finished at the end of the last section, making changes as I go. Now, Gareth, this flies in the face of every literary suggestion that is, that is offered that, you know, the first draft, don't look back, don't edit as you go. How, how did you come, come about with this style of, of writing and, and has it been working for you? Do you, do you continue that to this day? Um, yeah, it's it's. Um, I, I didn't really come to it consciously, really. It's just I found um, when I sat down to write, I had to read back a bit to find out where, where I was and to get back into the rhythm and kind of um, get back into the characters and so on. So go back, read, read a bit. But obviously, when you go back and read, you start to notice things. So I start changing them as I went along. So by the time I got back to where I needed to start writing, I'd improved some stuff. So um, and also when I'm writing, if I uh, come to a continuity thing. I think, uh, for the purposes of the, this scene, this character's hair needs to be white. But in chapter one, I said that it was red. I, I'll just nip back and change that on the fly. <laughs> so um, while I remember to do it, because otherwise, by the time I get to the end of the book, I will have completely forgotten, and it'll be a big continuity mess. And because of the kind of deadlines um, I'm writing to. Um, Akak Makak, for instance, the novel um, was sold to Solaris without a single word of the novel actually being written. Oh, wow. So yeah. I'd written, I think I'd written the first two or three chapters, and the book with the cover art was up on Amazon um, for wow. pre order. So, <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, really. Yeah. So at, at that point, you just think, oh, I've got to have a finished. A, you know, a submittable manuscript by this date, so you just, you know, you, you kind, of, kind of edit on the fly as well. Um, it, that's not to say when I get to the end I don't go back and re-edit completely from the beginning, because obviously I do, but I just try and tidy things up as I go along. Now, do you find that that actually, by by doing those multiple editorial sweeps while you're writing it, do, do you think that actually improves your, your productivity, the, 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 the turnaround and the creation of word count? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure... About that, but it, it focuses my mind, helps me keep the, the entire book in my head in one go, if you see okay. what I mean. It's, it's yeah. difficult. Sometimes you can only keep a chapter or two in your head, and but you, you know, if you have to keep the whole thing as this great big kind of gaudy chandelier Christmas ornament thing in your head, <laughs> see how every part's connected to every other part. Yeah, sure, sure. Do you outline or are you a, a pants? Yeah, uh, I do outline. Um, I usually do like a 1000, 2000 word outline. Um, as a kind of roadmap, um, but it's it's more well, it's more like a recipe than a roadmap. Really, it's it's you know, I need some eggs in this. I need some flour. I need some milk. But <laughs> exactly how they combine in the bowl is 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 kind of uh, you know, I, I have an ending in mind and I work towards it. But I take unexpected details along the way. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I was curious how that process of editing would evolve when you do have an outline in front of you and you need to be conscious of of those mile markers that you're trying to hit as you're writing. So it sounds to me like you're you're specifying you've got your beginning, you've got your ending, you're gonna you're gonna get there, but how you get there you're not clear of when you sit down and write any given chapter. Is that is that a fair statement? Yes. Yeah. I I have the okay. ending, I have some kind of signposts along the way. Mm-hmm. That I want X, Y, and Z to happen, but exactly how we get between those signposts is is another matter. Yeah, and it's I think a lot of that you can you can really uh, hang your hat on. I like that idea of the that you can 
be in that moment of that story as you're working on it and and be aware of where you're at in the story by going back and reviewing it. It does it does bring up something else that I thought of as I was going through your short story that was on transmissions from beyond. Um, fascinating story, first of all. I really enjoyed it. And it's, it's interesting because I found that one of the things you seem to champion is this idea that science fiction should be almost, for lack of a better way to put it, for me at least, it should be risque. It should push my mind to go places that I didn't necessarily think it would go. Uh, in other words, I shouldn't be able to open the can of soda that is science fiction and be have my thirst quenched. I need to expand my mind a bit vis-a-vis a talking monkey with a cigar and a, you know, that flies a Zeppelin. So getting to my point here, your story in Transmissions from Beyond, I was, I was very um, interested in the tonal shifts that I detected there as I was going through the story. You've, you've got a very dark and depressing story in that tale. Uh, what happens to Andy, if I recall correctly, uh, his name correctly, what happens to him in that story as compared to the moments when we're actually seeing what's happening to Ak-Ak in his story, which are almost bright and swashbuckling. Those tonal shifts between Andy and Ak-Ak, are they things that you can write consecutively? Do you just plow from one tone to the other, or are you even aware of the tone as you're going through those moments? Um, I, no, I write consecutively. It was the... Um the same kind of thing with um, my novel, The Recollection, which has mm-hmm. um, it's told in alternating chapters between two main protagonists and then some chapters from various supporting characters as well. But rather than write each adventure separately and then braid them together, I just write the whole thing consecutively because I think that helps keep the pacing up, the, the, the tone and the pacing, if you see what I mean. So if you've just written a really exciting chapter with one character where they almost drown in a lake, for instance. In the next chapter with the other character, you can kind of work in small echoes of that uh, with them, um, you know, in, you know, take, having a bath or whatever and putting their face under the water or whatever. So you can kind of complement and play um, play against each other so that the, the two storylines are kind of weaving around each other like, um, uh, I don't know, Miles Davis and John Coltrane weaving around each other on a, on a tune. I was so going to say they're, choreography, they're, but yeah, that works too. Yeah, so they're, they're kind of um, you know supporting each other and echoing each other and and, mm-hmm. and, and foreshadowing each other as well. So it's, uh, from from that point, yeah, I, I I can't write non consecutively for some reason. Like my my brain rebels and <laughs> <laughs> the, the big the big blank page saying put chapter three here just ne- needles at me, so so I have to do it yep. consecutively. Mm-hmm. And just to affirm the, those those nuances and that that choreography that that jazz riffing where you pick up an echo of a theme from a previous segment, that that probably isn't in your outline. Is that correct? You're you're discovering that as you as you make your way through. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, my outline is very much at the level. They go into a room. They find it. They find something important. <laughs> Some other guys come in. They want it to. And it's it's very much you know nuts and bolts. Um, so the actual kind of character motivation and everything comes in as we go along and, and that kind of obviously can throw the out, you know, I've, I've never written a book that completely follows the outline that I sold it on because you can't, it, you, your characters take you off in slightly different, slightly different places and become different people. So mm-hmm. you just have to do the best you can. <laughs> it's the writer's lot in life. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Gareth Powell after this brief promotional break. The unknown. Mystery. Space. Science. Have fun. 
adventure. Suspense. Fantasy. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. The Journey Into podcast features replays of old radio shows like X-1, Escape, Suspense, Lights Out, and many more. Also, about once a month, I sure am trying, it will also feature full cast readings of new and classic stories, as well as new flash fiction. Think of it as a variety pack of audio fiction. It's a happy meal for your ears, or if you don't like happy meals, it's like the toy chest you used to dive into when you went to the dentist as a kid. Come check it out at journeyintopodcast.blogspot.com So come with me and let's journey into space. Or into adventure. Or into fear. Or into mystery. Or into the unknown. Or... Now, let's get back to the conversation with Gareth Powell. Gareth, you, uh, I, I wanted to talk a little bit. You, you've done, uh, uh, you, you immersed yourself in, in flash fiction for a while and actually engaged in a lot of uh, 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 collaborative experiences. Could you share a little bit about what it is about the collaborative writing experience that appeals to you? Uh, uh, you know, your, your experience with Elliot de Bedard and, and with the flash fiction that you've been indulging in. Um, and uh, just share with our listeners, if you would, s- some of the discoveries that you made about your own writing through that collaborative process and, and what it is about it that appeals to you so much. Well, uh, um, I don't know. I just... Um, I got to know Aliette. Um, we were both published in Interzone and we, we met up at a couple of conventions and, and, and we're friends. So just one day, I can't remember which one of us suggested it, but we were just chatting and one of us said, we should, we should write something together one day. Um, and then we took ourselves seriously and you know, took a light-hearted comment seriously and started chucking ideas around. She, she threw a few to me, I threw a few to her. Um, and then, um, oh, then, then we found a, a photograph of a street protest with a, um, a, a girl wearing a gas mask and a Hello Kitty t-shirt. And um, <laughs> just the, the, the juxtaposition of that so sort of uh, uh, ignited something. And we, we ended up writing this 10,000-word um, story that appeared in the Shine Anthology from Solaris. And, and that was a lot of fun. And we, we did it very much like the, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a children's party game where you write one sentence and then fold the page over and pass it to the next person and they write the next sentence and, and so on and, and you end up at the end read it all out and you've got a, a, a hilariously disjointed story <laughs> we kind of did that which was we I, I would write a scene send it to Aliette she would read through it then she would write the next scene send it back and we were just emailing it back and forward like that until we came to the end and then we both took it in turns to go through from the beginning and edit it um, luckily, we I think we pretty much agreed on all the changes that were made, um, and then when we were both happy with it, we, we we sent it off to the editor. He came back, made a few suggestions, and that was that. Um, so it was fun. It was 
it was a motivating experience because when you're writing a short story, you're just writing a short story. You, there's nobody sort of waiting with bated breath for every sentence that you write. Whereas when you're collaborating uh, by email, you'll be sitting at home and then it'll pop into the inbox and you'll open it and think, oh God, what's she done? And you'll read through <laughs> You'll read through quickly to find out what's happening and you'll think, wow. And then you'll be conscious that you have to come back with the next bit. So your imagination's already fired and you're already kind of banging banging out the next bit and getting it back as quickly as possible because it's so it's an exciting process. Um, I guess it's kind of like jamming with a, you know if you're a musician jamming with another musician, you know tra trading riffs, seeing what seeing what each other can do, you know playing with each other's styles. So that's um, outstanding. Yeah, it, it it was really exciting. I've done it again since with a, a guy called Paul Raven. Um, we we co-wrote a story that's in um, an anthology called the Collinthology which is an anthology that was put together in memory of the science fiction writer Colin Harvey, right? Um, who was a friend of mine. But Paul and, Paul and I wrote, wrote this story together in much the same way. Only in that process, there was a little bit more um, friendly rivalry in that we would try and stitch each other up in each one. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, he, I, I met him recently, and he was—he was—he was just saying, oh, "You sent me that scene where the driver, the driver gets shot, and the van crashes through the airport fence, and left it there and sent it to me." And I thought, "Oh, you bastard! Oh, yeah, how am I going to get out of this?" <laughs> and so, right, okay, so he he writes the next scene where a load of security drones show up with like an inescapable heat detecting guns and then sends it back to me and says, get her out of that. What was the name yeah. of that story? That sounds intriguing. It was called Bisbee Biz. Bisbee Biz. All right. B -I -Z, as in business is business. Bisbee Biz. Yeah. It was uh, sort of, uh, there was a lot of uh, sort of made up hip street slang in it and so on. It's, um, about a better it's set in a, a post um greenhouse effect kind of britain um with risen sea levels and, and everybody's on the make and every you know gangsters everywhere and everyone's just trying to get by um and it was it's all to do with salvaging of a, a crate from a, a capsized container ship and uh, the transportation of said crate somewhere else and it's uh, yeah it's um it was a lot of fun, but as I say, it was it was more of a more of a game of tennis than a, a, a you know we were lobbing. That's right. It, it was it wasn't it wasn't a jazz riff. It was a sparring match. Yes, we we, we <laughs> were sort of lobbing grenades backwards and forwards. <laughs> but it was yeah. But it was also a hell of a lot of fun because of that. Outstanding. Oh, how can it not be? I mean, that sounds like a fantastic process to have. You know that kind of. That, that those moments of the story almost predicated for you so that you you have to to roll with those punches that's that's amazing i want to switch gears a little bit here actually and talk about one of your characters that uh obviously you know who i'm going to talk about here because it's just this character stands out so much both in the body of work that you're creating and just as a science fiction character as a whole but ak ak macaque is just such a interesting character for me um from every from every level really and i don't want to ask you a very specific question about him um because i don't want to pigeonhole your answer but i'm curious if you wouldn't mind speaking for a minute or two about the creation of that character and just how you went about taking um, this concept of a <laughs> fighter pilot cigar, cigar chomping monkey <laughs> and turning it into Ak Ak Macaque as he exists today. Right. Well, um, 
he kind of snuck up on me, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I, a few years ago, you know, we, 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 as a writer, you kind of play with words in your head all the time, and you're just sort of thinking of words and banging things together. And um, gr- growing up, I'd read a lot of W.E. Johns's Biggles books, if you're familiar with those. The um, Biggles books? Biggles, yes. Okay. Um, very big in the UK, uh, written between the First and Second World War um, and, and past the Second World War, I think. The author, uh, Captain W. E. Johns, was a fighter pilot in World War One, um, So he wrote a series of short stories which got fixed up into a number of books about a pilot called James Bigglesworth. He was shortened to Biggles. And um, he went on and he wrote about 100 books, 100 novels about wow. this character. Going from... <laughs> Uh, the, the First World War right through the Second World War and then becoming an air, an air detective in the 50s or whatever and flying around. So I was familiar with the term ACAC for anti-aircraft fire right. from that. And for some reason, I was just sitting down one day and that phrase and the phrase macaque kind of collided with each other in my head and I wrote it down in my notebook because um, I was just coming up with silly rhyming words, really. <laughs> and, um, and, and they just sat there, but they kind of stuck... And, you know, with a phrase like that, it kind of sticks with you. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I started thinking, macaque, anti-aircraft fire, macaque, monkey. Mm. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm going to have to create a world where this thing exists. And I was writing the, the short story, that, that the original short story that came to have that as the title. Um, and it, it, originally he wasn't in that. It was a story about a a man and a female cartoonist and she leaves him and he's, in, you know, um, I won't spoil the end of the story, but I, mm-hmm. I, I suddenly realized I needed a kind of manga-esque um, mm-hmm. character with a bit of oomph to him. Uh, and I turned around and he was stood behind me waiting. Going, <laughs> Where the hell have you been? So uh, <laughs> actually what he said was, which you of course understand completely yes and um so i I just i I wrote this story and i I, you know i put him in in there and 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 thought no more of it but then obviously the story was very well received in some quarters Mm -hmm. absolutely loathed in others but we won't talk about that (laughs) and um uh, you know eventually he went off and I wrote uh, a couple of novels and lots more short stories, but people kept saying, you should do something with that monkey. Um, and so last year when Solaris uh, said to me, have you got, a, you know, just after the recollection had come out, they said, have you got another book you'd like to write? Because we have a, a, a schedule, you know, a, a space in our schedule next year publication schedule so if you have another book and uh, i just said yes obviously i'm not going to say no so <laughs> with an opening like that yeah so I, I turned around and he was stood behind me again picking his teeth and going ah, about time so <laughs> um i just thought yeah and I, i'd had for a couple of years these notes about this detective story um set in an alternate france with zeppelins and, and electronic ghosts and and all kinds of um wonderful alternate history goodness and uh, he just slotted into that just unbelievably and the it, he's the same character but it's it's the, the the novel has absolutely nothing to do with the short story at all it's it's completely right. set in a different world 
um, and things are a lot different, but the essential character is, is, is the same. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it just it just all grew from nothing, really. It, I didn't set out to create a, a smoking monkey character. I'd, I didn't look out the window one day and think, what this world needs? <laughs> <laughs> it's another it's a smoking monkey character, damn it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think there's there's probably, you know, he looks... People have compared him to Hellboy. I think it's the the, the, the cigar and the the tail, basically. Sure. But he he's an amalgam of that kind of the, the Biggles thing, the kind of Indiana Jones, all those kind of heroes um, forward. And then he's, he's kind of he's just evolved. And and in, in the book now, he's he's swears like a trooper. <laughs> mm drinks like a fish and eats like an ape so it's uh he's just kind of come from nowhere and, and i can't get rid of him now <laughs> he's a permanent house guest yeah in your brain yeah excellent well we're we're running we're winding down on our time here gareth but i have one last question that I, i'd like to ask and and that is what do you consider to be your your greatest strength or asset as a writer, as an author, and and what do you do to to foster and build uh, on that strength? Um, my greatest strength. Um, it's probably the fact that I'm just too stubborn to give up. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a big one. That, that always helps. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because you know, I, I I could have given up. I could have walked away. I could have bought the uh, entire box set series of house on dvd and spend all my evenings watching that but it's it's no it's just i this is what i this is what i wanted to do and this is what i'm kind of compelled to do so it's just arranging uh, arranging my life around it and 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 just not giving up just thinking right i'm going to write this novel and it's going to come out and i'm going to write it and i'm going to finish it and sticking with it and going Another great thing, I, I think, another great bit of training I had was I worked um, in the marketing department of a software company um, for uh, nearly 10 years, um, writing sales letters, um, writing brochures, writing case studies, writing technical kind of specifications for this, this software, uh, which was really dull accounting software and selling it to really big organizations like universities and local governments and so on. So it was very dry. But it taught me to write very concisely. And I think fiction writers can learn a lot from advertising and marketing copywriters in terms of making every single word as vibrant as possible and carrying as much freight of meaning as possible in the shortest amount of time. So I, I think that, that was a big strength as well. That really helped me tone up everything and tighten it up. And I think... Uh, that was a great training ground. That makes perfect sense. That's that's inspired, and and you're absolutely right. We've we've had mm -hmm. we've had other authors recommend poetry, uh, uh, or or discovery writing, and so on and so forth. But that's that's absolutely true. I've noticed. I I think Ryan, you and I both have have done similar work, and it really does uh, sharpen your awareness of superfluous words. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Clearly, I don't use that in my introductions, but uh, in other <laughs> writing. 
Uh, <laughs> I can definitely do that. Well, gentlemen, the uh, uh, the, the the clock has has actually thrown up a on strike sign. Uh, it, it died uh, a couple of minutes ago, and has since uh, uh, thrown up a rebellion uh, against me on my desk before me. I'm afraid we're out of time. Um, but Gareth, thank you so much. This this has been an intriguing exploration, uh, and and we greatly appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. Excellent. Ryan, uh, uh, what did you take away from that discussion? Did anything pop out in, in your mind? You know, every time I sit in the guest host chair, I just feel lazier and lazier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I, I'm I'm still dwelling on that idea of writing in sequence, and I'm going to start experimenting with some of that in my own writing. I think that might be the kick in the proverbial pants that I need is to stop trying to write things separately and maybe just kind of dive into the pool and see where I end up. Sure, sure, absolutely, and and that that can unlock all kinds of wonderful riffs, as Gareth pointed out. That's fabulous. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I I was I was taken by the the literally from the void genesis of ack ack mcack and and the yeah. fact that you know there's no way any of us can know how things are going to assemble in our creative process to create something iconic and yet it happens time and time again so so having having faith it kind of affirmed my faith in that uh, uh, understanding and, and expectation that awesomeness will come uh, as long as you're providing a fertile ground for it to occur in. So that was mm-hmm. awesome. That was very cool. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of 20 Minutes With. Um, now, stick around in a couple of days. We're going to have Gareth back, uh, and we are going to workshop uh, a fabulous story idea uh, and and bring about all sorts of wonderful, I'm sure food metaphors will, will play a large part of that. Because <laughs> I'm here, yeah. Because <laughs> Ryan's here, and I know Gareth supported that as well with the eggs and milk thing, and That's I appreciate right. both of you uh, rocking that vibe. <laughs> Uh, until then, uh, do let the word be spread, dear friends, about the Roundtable podcast. Uh, the more people that know about it, the more awesomeness gets distributed. Uh, drop us, a, drop us a, a line at the table at roundtablepodcast.com. We're out at Facebook on facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Writers Podcast out there on the Twittosphere. Uh, and of course, our website, www.roundtablepodcast.com. Uh, uh, friends, you've got a couple of days to hang out. Um, uh, Ryan, what do you think, babe? What should they be doing? Well, they should be writing. They should be staying hydrated. You know how I roll. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Those two things, the pen and the water bottle. That's going to be right. your biography. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> indeed. And and I will tell you, friends, that you find what you're looking for. So don't look for blah. Don't look for, oh, I can, or, or problems. Look for awesome. Look for blue label, top shelf goodness. And I promise you, you will find it. We will see you in a couple of days. Until then, you guys, stay cool, stay frosty, be awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyrighted 2012 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. 
or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast. Or just send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.